Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Hello once again, everyone. Uh, Bill Goodman here for Kentucky Humanities and Think Humanities podcast. And today we're going to talk history and a special guest from the Kentucky Historical Society. A little bit about um, the society, a little bit about uh, our guest and uh, why she is visiting us today on Think Humanities. The Kentucky Historical Society, a a gift uh, to Kentucky and uh, for Kentucky and Kentuckians uh, and people from all over the world, was formed in 1836 by a group of prominent Kentuckians intent on preserving the history of the Commonwealth. It's a a membership organization with members from Kentucky and around the world. Uh, The uh, society is uh, a part of the Kentucky Tourism, Arts, and Heritage Cabinet, and they are also affiliates of several um, museums, and uh, they are also a Smithsonian affiliate. One of their uh, chief um, tasks, uh, I I guess you would say, or challenges or opportunities is to educate all of us uh, in the ways of uh, our storied history in uh, Kentucky and how Kentucky fits into the United States. And one of the the current projects that they have going on now is entitled the Civil War Governors of Kentucky Digital Documentary Edition, uh, which is a freely uh, accessible online collection of of historical documents associated with the chief executives of uh, the state of Kentucky from 1860 to 1865. And that is going to be our chief uh, topic today uh, with Natalie Smith, who joined the Kentucky Historical Society and uh, the Civil War Governors of Kentucky digital documentary um, about a year ago. Uh, A little bit about her. Uh, She's an editorial assistant on the project. Um, and her uh, main duties are completing the textual, and we'll interpret all of these uh, words in just a minute, the textual editorial work necessary to digitally publish our annotated um, uh, documents. Uh, she um, is also um, wants to ensure that the editorial policies in uh, the website's uh, words are consistent, clear, and well-applied. Uh, She has an interesting background, a Kentuckian from Elizabethtown with a master's degree in English literature uh, from the uh, University of uh, St. Andrews in Scotland in 2017. She has a BA in English and political science from the University of, and history, a minor in history from the University of Louisville, uh, where she was a McConnell scholar. And she says she has told me that she's a voracious reader, uh, or she wrote that, but she also told me that she she loves... uh, uh, reading and uh, especially English literature, which took her to Scotland. So, uh, Natalie, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. For uh, being a year on the job, and if you're, um, this is the the airplane seat question. Uh, you're on a flight. Uh, you're sitting beside somebody who just happens to turn to you and say, "What do you do?" And you say. <laughs> I am an editorial assistant on a project at the Kentucky Historical Society. It's a Civil War project, which, as you said, um, 
talks about documents that passed through the office of the governor during the Civil War years. Uh, but the name itself is a bit of a misnomer, I have to say. Um, the, the collection of documents is not about the governors themselves, but really more so about the people who wrote into the governor during the Civil War years. And so what I do is look at the documents, and our documents go through a variety of editorial processes. Um, we transcribe them, um, we publish them online, we annotate the people, places, organizations, and geographical features that appear in the documents, and we make sure that um, all this information is verified, so we're giving people the most accurate information as possible. Is there or was there a question when you began about the, the number of documents that are available to, to you and to uh, anyone who wants to uh, uh, have them available? Oh, goodness. Right now we have 10,000 documents available online, and we're still looking for documents. Um, the interesting thing about this project is because it's, it's very Kentucky-focused, uh, there may be documents out there that are just sitting in someone's personal collection that uh, we may not know fit within the scope of our project. Um, and so that's kind of exciting that a document could come in any day that could, that could fit into the project. Um, right now our documents come from a variety of repositories across the state. Um, the goal is to eventually have, um, I think, 40,000 documents available online. So we've got 10,000 right now. So we're, we're getting there. So when you say documents, define what some of these documents are. Sure. Um, a, a good bulk of the documents are petitions that people will write into the governor asking for help. So in today's day and age, if your neighbor steals your chickens, your first thought would probably not be to write into the governor for help. But in the Civil War period, a lot of people viewed the office of the governor as a sort of lifeline and last hope um, for getting help in this chaotic, turbulent time during the Civil War. Um, so these documents are sometimes a person's only mark on the historical record. So we view it as really important to try to tell these stories and make them available. So besides, I mean, that's, that's a great example of um, someone who has a domestic uh, argument or there is a uh, what might be considered a small matter. But you have learned that uh, governors at that time played a different role than they do today? In some ways. There are, uh, petitions are a small number of the documents. We also have military records and economic documents and um, other documents that pass through the office of the governor. But what we've, we're really interested in is why people wrote into the office of the governor during the Civil War period. And those are the stories that have been most engaging to me um, and why people are asking for help. And what are some of those stories? Well, we have um, a lot of people will write in if they're in a criminal dispute. Um, say a woman's husband was jailed for stealing something. She'll write in and say, look, this is my only means of support. Um, I've gotten these people to sign and vouch for my husband. Do you think that um, you could pardon him? And Sometimes the, the governor will allow it and sometimes he doesn't. And we don't often get the reasons why a governor will make the decisions that he does, um, but we 
often we'll see in the doc in the docketing of the document what the decision was. And so it, it just makes you wonder a lot of times on, gosh, what were the circumstances behind this? Why would a person um, decide one way or the other? And we may never know, uh, but, it, but it's still interesting nonetheless. So when you receive a document from an individual or where else would they come from, by the way? Um, individuals in what? museums that are in small towns around Kentucky? And, and would that be another uh, repository of some of these documents? that, you, that you Yeah. Um, we have some from the Felsen Historical Society, mm-hmm. some from the Kentucky Department for Library and Archives, um, Kentucky Department of Military Affairs, um, Kentucky Historical Society itself had some. And then we also have some uh, family letters from the governors, and we've used the ones that were political in nature had to do with the office that we've taken. So they've come from all over. What does it tell you, or what can it tell uh, all of us about how different government operated then and now? And part two of that question might be, um, was it only because it was during the Civil War uh, years, or were governors acting like that and I'm sure they were, before and after the Civil War. Yeah, it's it's exactly as you say. Some of the documents that you read, you think, gosh, politics really hasn't changed all that much. Um, but then other times you read a, a document and you'll think, the Civil War must have been such a chaotic and difficult time for people. There will be people writing in from um, their county government saying, our government has just fallen apart and we don't know how to run things here. Can you help? And so it, it, it's really told us um, on a very individual, community-based level what life was like for Kentuckians during this period. Were the, um, the documents, I'm sure, were all written in, in longhand. Um, what, what does the writing, the, the, the literate part of this, tell you about Kentuckians during uh, the period 1860 to 1865? What you've brought up is definitely an editorial challenge of this project. Mm. Um, With some documentary editions, um, you will have a collection of documents that are written by a single person, like George Washington's letters, um, and you're able to compare handwriting between documents and translate pretty easily. With this edition, we're getting documents from all over the state, and mostly written by all different people. And sometimes this this may be the only letter that a person writes. And trying to transcribe the handwriting of a semi-literate person in Kentucky is a definite challenge. Um, So we try to be as true to the text as possible and we try to gather um, all the information that we can from a document. Um, But Sometimes a person will have someone write the document for them and they'll just write their X mark. Um, But it's a definite challenge and we're learning as we go along. You've been on the project uh, for a year. It's uh, the entire project is is not that much older than than just uh, a year and a a few months, is it? I mean, it hasn't been established that long, has it? It it actually has been um, in the works since in a very different stage than what it is now mm-hmm. since uh, about 2012. Okay. So a few more years than that of collecting mm-hmm. the documents and that sort of thing. Right. What, um, what is the most extraordinary, surprising story that you've discovered? And what has been one of the more interesting stories 
that uh, you've heard of someone else maybe reading for the first time dating back to 2012? Hmm. One of my my favorite stories, and I think it's a favorite of many people who have looked at our collection, we have an exhibit on it on our website, um, is the story of Caroline, who was a um, contraband refugee um, slave who uh, ended up getting entangled with the law uh, in Kentucky. Um, she worked for a family, I believe in Louisville, um, and the family's uh, child was poisoned. Um, and the family accused her of having done it. And so we have a, a variety of documents of people writing in, um, vouching for her, um, for her innocence. And um, she was sentenced to be hanged, and um, she ends up being let off um, by the governor. And, um, but it's a really fascinating story, and we've got, we've got a, um, several documents that detail um, her account from a variety of perspectives. So that's been one of my favorites. Um, as far as one that I've found, uh, I've used so many, um, hmm. so many documents to do with crime that it's hard for me to pinpoint one. Are they, that, are they that really major crime uh, or are they, they, they petty can crime? Be. Both. Yeah. Both. Um, we don't have too many that are written by women that go mm -hmm. in. So I guess some of the ones that are more touching for me will be. A mother writing into the governor um, saying, "I haven't heard from my son, um, and I don't know where he is. Can you can you help me? Mm. Tell me where he mm -hmm. is." And um, I always find those very moving. Uh, did you or or can you know if there were uh, documents, letters, petitions, whatever, uh, written by African Americans? Uh, there are some, and. They may be written by someone else, but has have their mm -hmm. X mark, and they're often um, they say that in the oh. letter. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. we, I wouldn't say we have many, but we uh -huh. do have some. Are, are they? Are there any that you've run across um, petitioning for their freedom if they were enslaved? Uh, no, I uh -huh. haven't seen any of those. What do you want people? to know is available to them. Uh, why the project in the first place? I think the project um, can and should appeal to a variety of audiences. Um, one, obviously, would be Civil War researchers. Um, we provide a, a new way of looking at um, the Civil War by being able to track a person um, across several documents in Kentucky. Um, but I would also advise educators and students um, to come and look at our documents. I think as a student in Kentucky, um, you learn that the Civil War put Kentucky in a unique position. Um, but w until you look at these documents and see them on a more personal level, I think it, it may not resonate as much. Um, so I think that we provide some insight to civil war in Kentucky that may not be available elsewhere. So let's pretend uh, we have a, a laptop or a PC in front of us uh, and you're at home and uh, someone is curious about uh, one of the governors or this project or might have heard something uh, about what we're talking about uh, on the podcast. Um, can you sort of visually take us through how one would activate or, or uh, get a sense of uh, 
either the ease or the difficulty of, uh, of doing a research project? Sure. Um, so you can access our collection either by going to the Kentucky Historical Society website, which is history.ky.gov, and there's a link on there. Um, you could also go directly to the website by going to discovery.civilwargovernors.org. And when you get there, um, you'll see a page that has a main search bar, and you could do a simple keyword search or a more advanced search by um, title or genre or location um, or date. Or we have a section on our website that lays out some exhibits and subject guides that we have. So if you know that you are interested in, say, agriculture in the Civil War, we've pulled a selection of documents already that deal with that very topic. And that's not to say that's all of the documents in the collection, but that can be a jumping off point for you. And so you, you put that search word in there, uh, click on, and, and what's the next page show you? It will show you um, a list of all the documents that has that mentions something to do with that topic. And then when you go to a document themselves, um, you'll be able to view uh, an image of the original document as well as a transcription. And we actually just hit a major milestone with the project in annotating a thousand documents. So what that means is for a thousand of the 10,000 documents that we have available, um, we have biographies written for each person, place, geographic feature, and organization that appears within that document. So for those documents that we have annotated, you'll be able to not only view the transcription, but you'll be able to see links uh, for each of these people, entities. And then you can click on that link and learn a little bit more about that person. So if um, my last name is Goodman, uh, my home county is Barron, mm -hmm. if I wanted to know something about whether or not there were any Goodmans who had uh, written or petitioned uh, uh, the governor during that time period, I, I would just simply put in that or maybe put in Goodman, Barron County. And, and it would uh, call up or uh, uh, anything uh, or, or, or not. I mean, it might bring up Barron County without a Goodman attached to it, correct? Exactly. And a tricky thing is um, there are so many variant spellings in these documents that mm -hmm. uh, to find a person, you might have to try several mm -hmm. spellings of a name to find them. Um, but a, a new initiative that we're doing um, that my colleague Emily um, came up with is for, for some documents when we can't um, transcribe a name or we can't figure out what it says, we've decided to open that up to the public to get their help on what, what a name may translate hmm. to. So on social media, we call it Mystery Mondays, and on social media we'll post the signature and then we'll give all the contextual info that we have about the document in which the name appears. And we've gotten some really good feedback and been able to figure out some of these signatures. and. Um, if, if a person comes to it and says, oh, well, Barron County, I'm, I'm from there, um, and you may not have been able to tell what this name is, but I know a lot of people mm. with this last yeah. name in this county, and this is what it is. Yeah. And it's actually been helpful to us in being able to, to track down some of these family names, which is pretty exciting. So you've had some people um, that, that have responded to, to have, social media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we didn't know how successful it was going to be, but... Um, some are still mysteries, but yeah. we've, we've had more success than we thought. So it's a, it's a great project for genealogists, too. 
if you're looking to try to see, I wonder if my family wrote into the governor mm-hmm. during the Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, I would encourage you to go search. Yeah, I can't imagine Abraham Lincoln on Twitter. <laughs> um, you, you said that uh, it gives you, uh, and the way you've been able to uh, annotate um, enough information in, into a, uh, a biography of, of an individual. I mean, what, what does that look like and how, how, how long are those? I mean, th- those could be characters in a, either a fiction or a nonfiction piece very easily. How, how much information about individuals are on there? Right. This was a, an editorial decision that we had to make early on uh, to keep them very short. So these biographies will only mention um, events in a person's life during the Civil War period. Mm. So if it, if a person, no matter how interesting their biography may be after the war, unfortunately we have to limit or it, or it could just get out of hand and we could write biographies mm. all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. um, and actually our biographies, if you, if you go and look, they're, they're a little um, formulaic. We'll say what a person's job is, where they're located, um, who they're married to, that sort of thing, if they own slaves. And the goal is eventually that you'll be able to search through the biographies and say, how many people were merchants in Barron County in 1860? And you'll be able to pull up Hmm. every person that was listed as that in a census record. Hmm. And so it's going to take a long time before we get there, but that's the eventual goal. The project is the Civil War Governors of Kentucky Digital Documentary Edition. Our guest today has been uh, editorial assistant on the project, Natalie Smith. Uh, how much um, how much longer does someone uh, that uh, w- one of the people that are in charge of the project uh, at uh, the Kentucky Historical Society think that it might uh, be before it's it's complete? Oh, we've got several years left of work to do. So we'll see. <laughs> Have you enjoyed it? I very much enjoyed it, yes. Is it sort of like uh, going um, on, a, on a mystery Monday every day of the week? Um, it I is. Mean, what, what's, you're, you're, you're sort of, I mean, the way you talk about it, you're really interested in it. I am, and, and you never know what kind of story you're, you're going to get every day. So you learn something new, definitely. Natalie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.